from the University of Groningen, this is MindWise podcast, hosted and brought to you by psychology students. MindWise! Let's talk science! Okay, let's do this. Welcome back to the podcast. This is our third episode. Thanks for tuning in again, like last week and the week before. I'm still Marco, I guess, and I'm um, here with Yavo. Yeah, I'm Yavo. Hey. My fellow psychology student, and Tasso is here with us, our lecturer. For the hi, Marco. Hi, Yavo. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a long day, but I'm really excited to be here again and talk to you. We're also really excited. Yeah, especially about today's episode, because the content is not only related to our course, but also to some of the current events in the world of academia. Specifically, we want to talk about the Journal of Basic and Applied Social Psychology that at the beginning of this month banned, at the beginning of February, I'm sorry, banned p-values or more specifically hypothesis significance testing. And we will go into this in detail and see what, what the reaction was. But before we do that, there is one article we wanted to mention that we read again this week. Mm -hmm which is by Hoekstra, I hope I pronounced this correctly, and Richard Murray and Rauder and Waren Marcus from 2014. And so before we jump into this ferocious debate of the p-values and the Bayesian versus the frequentist statistics, we thought it might be funny to mention this paper because... Well, it's going to give us a bit of... Uh a ground to speak about the problems that's, that we're going to speak about in this podcast. So, We see in that paper conducted in the Netherlands, they asked a few hundred undergraduate first-year psychology students about the interpretation of confidence intervals and p-values. And they also asked some master students and some researchers. And what they found is that there was no statistical difference between how the first-year psychology students answered and the researchers. So what they did is they just had six statements, all of them were incorrect, and you had to indicate if they're true or false, and this is how the um, results came to happen. So in case you feel freaked out about the complexity of statistics sometimes, it might encourage you that even some established researchers struggle with that once in a while. Tassos, have you, have you heard about this study? I have, actually. Um, Eric Jan Wachenmakers, who is the last author of this paper, um, wrote uh, a Mindwise post about this very article. Uh, I was just looking for it while you were talking about it. It's titled The Problem with Statistics, and it was published earlier in 2014, actually we'll in May 2014, on Mindwise. So you we can, can put a, a link below the podcast. That would be great. So that would be really good. You listeners can check it out. And in this post, he describes very briefly his um, his his point of view, his his objections to the use of statistics, but mostly to the way that statistics and specifically NHST non-hypothesis significance testing is being taught in universities. And I think one way of interpreting um, the 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 data of this, the data of this post, and the data of this study, which show, as you suggested, that researchers, uh, professional researchers, and first-year psychology students don't seem to differ very much in their understanding of these um, um, uh, statements is inherent in the way that the, these statistics are taught. 
both by these professionals and to these professionals uh, or these future professionals. It's an interesting study. Yes, and I guess some of this criticism came up also in the discussion that we read online as a reaction to the um, journal's decision to to ban p-values. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We thought in order to keep it as structured as possible, we wanted to go through the whys. Why would a journal do that? How are they going to continue publishing articles? What, what's their main focus now? And also, what's their, what's their true purpose? What's, what's their underlying idea? What do they really want to achieve with that decision? So to start us off, I just want to read the first two sentences of this editorial that was published at the beginning of February, and it says the following. The Basic and Applied Social Psychology 2014 editorial emphasized that the null hypothesis significance testing procedure is invalid, and thus authors would not be required to perform it. However, to allow authors a grace period, the editorial stopped short of actually banning the NHSTP. The purpose of the present editorial is to announce that the grace period is over. From now on, BASP is banning the null hypothesis testing procedure. It is over. It is over. It is so, dead. So when you first read that, Tassos, what did you think? I had heard about this decision shortly before I read the editorial. So I read about it um, probably on Twitter uh, at some point before I clicked on the on the article to read the, act, the the actual editorial. I was not aware of the grace period at all. It all came sort of as a surprise uh, on that. And I found it amusing to start with, interesting as a second response, and curious and interesting as sort of the final response to it, to it all. Uh, it's a rather extreme, as you understand, um, um, expression of disbelief on null hypothesis significance testing. And as such, it's interesting to observe the outcome. Yeah, it's, it's quite a, a drastic change. They, they're, from what I know, they're the first journal that does that, in psychology at least. And uh, Exactly, and it presents sort of one extreme of how to deal with p-values, how to interpret them, how much value to give them. So in the editorial, they then pose four questions Actually, three, three, questions. three questions that they think a lot of um, future authors of the journal or of papers that might be published in the journal might have. And these three questions are the following. So the first one is, will manuscripts with p-values be desk rejected automatically? The second one is, what about other types of inferential statistics such as confidence intervals or Bayesian methods? And the third one, are any inferential statistical procedures required? I thought the second question is funny because if you only read a Twitter post or a post on Facebook, a lot of fundamentalist Bayesian statisticians might have thought strike. Yeah. But then they actually go on and say, we're also very suspicious of Bayesian procedures and will decide their validity on a case-by-case -case basis. So to sort of recap the whole editorial, the, their, their answers to those questions are that manuscripts that include p-values are not automatically rejected, but in their final stage, all p-value tests are going to be removed. They do consider Bayesian methods on a case-by-case -case basis, as you suggested, and that in general, in the future, uh, basic and applied social psychology is not going to require any inferential statistics at all. 
In other words, any new article that gets published in BASP is going to include no inferential statistics, only descriptives. Yeah. So on the on the surface of it, this debate has been going on for, for many decades. There might be an entire system that encourages a researcher to actually strive towards hitting that 0.05 p-value threshold. And so when we talk about the whys, why would the journal do that? That's one thing they mentioned. So they say, we think this threshold is sort of arbitrary and also by banning it, we will encourage higher quality research. They follow up on this and say, because the researcher might think more creatively, he might not be imprisoned in this, you know, p-value thinking that my paper only means something if I find this significance. Would you agree to a certain extent, Tassos, that there is something to that, that creativity might be enhanced by banning a p-value? There are some good reasons for being skeptical about uh, the use of p-values in psychological research and any other kind of research. And some of these are mentioned in this editorial. But my, my question or my issue with the editorial is I think that it, it simultaneously discusses at least two issues with the p-value. One is that, as they describe, it's inherently flawed. And the other one is that researchers are not very good at interpreting it very well. And those are not exactly the same issue. They are different issues, and I think they need to be handled differently. There is also the third issue of whether uh, p-values are easy to manipulate, and that's where you get into the issues of p-hacking and also the file drawer problem and whether research requires uh, a p-value of less than 0.05 to be published. But these are all separate dimensions of the problem, and I think it's informative and useful not to lump them all together as one single problem because then you have uh, a sledgehammer approach to the solution, as one might say this uh, BASP solution is, rather than having a more nuanced and perhaps um, effective solution. So the idea that p-values are inherently flawed, I think, is, is an opinion, is a position of merit. I think it's even more meritorious to consider uh, p-values as, as, as poorly understood and poorly used. Um, you mentioned the article by Rick Hoekstra, Richard, Eric Jan, and, um, and Jeff Rauder, if I remember correctly. And that is a good example of empirical data that, that gives us an impression of how professional and trainee psychologists understand the implications and the nuances of null hypothesis significance testing. And I think that such a finding shouldn't be uh, dismissed and it should be taken to heart. And I think we should uh, change the way perhaps we teach null hypothesis significance testing and certainly the way that significance tests are reviewed in professional manuscripts. Whether banning statistic inferential statistical procedures is going to improve creativity in statistical analysis depends on your definition of creativity. I would define creativity as something that is new but also has additional value and I'm certain that the ban of NHSD is going to create something new but I don't know if it's going to be something of value that sort of remains to be seen. Um, so they they say that well in order to well they say that they're gonna encourage bigger sample sizes and yeah do, do you think that's actually 
going to be easy for a lot of laboratories to to deal with to find more participants because well participants are pretty difficult to find and they cost money first year undergraduates are cheap yeah is there enough of them i don't know the i i don't really know whether the that particular change in the way that editorial the the journal is going to accept manuscripts is going to change sample sizes but even when you increase sample sizes the size of effects isn't going to substantially change and Mm. statistics are useful inferential statistics are useful in situations where the answer isn't immediately obvious when you're looking at the effect and when the answer is immediately obvious in other words when the effect is really striking and really big Yes, inferential statistics don't add a lot of value, but they also yeah. don't misrepresent the situation either quite dramatically. Yes. Uh, so increasing sample sizes will have some improvement. I mean, having larger sample sizes is an interesting change in the procedure, but isn't really everything. Mm. Having more sensitive procedures, having better operational definitions, uh, having better testing procedures, all of those things create just as much value as having an extra 10 participants. And going back to the actual editorial, as you mentioned, there's a certain incoherence in the argumentation. Yavo and I, when looking at this editorial, were actually surprised that publishing such an editorial sparks a lot of controversy and publicity also for the journal. So, and that's only not even two pages, this editorial. So within it we expected that the journal would be more coherent in the argumentation as you said if if a method is invalid okay it makes sense to ban it but then they go on later on the article to say well the reason is also that it has been misused that that such an incoherence maybe takes a little bit away of the credibility and some of the criticism that we saw online was related to wanting to just spark controversy instead of truly maybe having the drive to improve the quality of research. I it, Did you read the 2014 editorial where they first announced the grace period for banning NHST? No, we didn't. No. It's likely that they uh, elaborate more on the reasons behind this, this entire endeavor and this, uh, this change in the way that they deal with inferential statistics and they elaborate on their reasons. It's still a two-page editorial. It's yeah. still an editorial. It's not an article. They use um, other papers to support their, their conclusions. But you're right, it is sort of short on, um, on information and, and analysis of this logic. They rely on other. Yeah. There, there was one good point someone made online in one of those statistics forums. How are you going to judge past research? Right? If you throw the p-value out of the window now, how do you even have a framework to judge old papers? Because if you don't take the p-value seriously anymore, only having descriptives, it's sort of a hard foundation to have, right? Well, it's true that uh, the, the comment that this uh, person made is, is an interesting one, because when a journal, its editors, its reviewers all come together and say, null hypothesis significance testing is invalid and poorly understood, therefore we ban it from our future papers. How do you deal with theories and logical arguments and evidence within those papers that are based on previous publications in either BASP or other journals, which do include non-hypothesis significance testing? Do you throw all the past away with it? 
I think they won't. I mean, clearly they won't. They cannot. They cannot start with a blank slate and uh, start social psychology research from the very beginning. So there is a contradiction in this uh, in this action, certainly. Hmm. Yeah, there, just to mention their very last sentence, they say, um, the null hypothesis testing procedure has dominated psychology for decades. We hope that by instituting the first NHSTP ban, we demonstrate that psychology does not need the crutch of the null hypothesis testing procedure and that other journals will follow suit. So this seems to be a fairly big statement that doesn't come with much more description of how this hypothesized research future might look like. I hope they follow up on something. They haven't published larger statement on that, have they? I'm not aware of anything mm -hmm. that they've published. Mm -hmm. I don't think mm -hmm. they have done anything uh, more than this. I think they're going to allow the new publications that do not include an HST to sort of um, speak for themselves and define the new field. And in that respect, I think, you know, as uh, as much as I disagree or with their approach to this, I it's not it's certainly not an approach that I would have taken, even if their original assumptions might be uh, considered acceptable to me. The interesting thing about it is that they are one of many, 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 many social psychology journals, and it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening. It's if you consider their approach to this and their actions on this as an experiment in and of itself, we're going to see what happens to the publications that get submitted to the quality of publications and whether this approach stands the course of time and whether indeed they demonstrate, uh, quote, that psychology does not need the crutch of the NHSTP. I wouldn't immediately go and jump and put my money that other journals are going to follow suit, but I'm curious to see what kind of publications end up making it into BASP in the short term and in the long term. Are there, are you aware of other journals that have implemented certain regulations that are not as extreme, but sort of on this dimension, something like, for example, to say, whenever you use a p-value, it should also be supported by other statistics? I certainly know that there are other journals that are more specific about their use of particular kinds of inferential statistics. So there are journals that require confidence intervals, there are journals that require power analyses, etc. But requirements tend to be more flexible than rigid. They tend to be recommendations and instructions, but not, uh, not rigidly banning things like BASB has. Okay. Yeah, well, did you still have something on your mind you wanted to? I guess not. Otherwise, we prepared a few personal rapid-fire questions. Oh, good. Is it still about Richard? <laughs> We've already mentioned him once with his no. article today. No more, no more, no more Richard today. But maybe he can be a future guest on the podcast maybe the next so. time he's here in Groningen. I think he'll be back in a few weeks. Yep. It'll be funny to have, to have him on. <laughs> so, rapid-fire questions. Yes. So, um, the first one. Complete the statement, my favorite time of the day is, and why? My favorite time of the day is about 5 o'clock in the morning when I wake up and the sun is out sometime in the beginning of spring and the house is very quiet. You wake up at 5 every morning? Uh, not every morning, but in the spring <laughs> I try to make it a point to wake up very early. It's a very quiet time of the day. It's the, moment, it's the time where I can read something very uh, purposefully and mindfully. Very good. And it's also the time that birds are waking up. It's a it's yeah. a really beautiful time of the day. Spring mornings are Spring probably mornings. the best mornings. Yeah. yeah. So, like Gabor says, favorite time of the day, spring morning. Hmm. 
you said at the moment you're fairly busy. It's a busy blog. What do you find more indispensable for meeting deadlines? Coffee or chocolate? No coffee. Coffee. There's okay. no for for my for my life. There's no competition. Yeah. Okay. So well, what does your relationship with coffee look like? Uh, it's uh, it's amorous, passionate, and intimate, and frequent. Beautiful. Just how you just how you wanted. Maybe the the last one. It's a bit of a deeper question. Okay. Let, 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 I'll, let's I'll see what back. you come up with. Okay. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give the twenty-year-old Tassos? No advice. I don't. I I don't like considering changing the past. I think if I had access to twenty-year-old Tassos, I would say polish your shoes more frequently, and you'll be fine. Well, yeah. Or just buy chucks. Or, bu or just or buy, buy chucks. chucks. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've had chucks every year since I was 12, I think. So I think my 20-year-old self was well familiar with that concept. Nice. Yes. Okay. And again, maybe a little shout out to our fellow students and whoever else is going to listen to this recording. You can contact us anytime with your questions or concerns or suggestions also or maybe suggestions on who to have on the podcast right exactly or or what you want us to talk about or you also can just uh, ask us directly uh, that's not a problem so yeah ask Yavo okay as ask me directly if you yeah. have any <laughs> questions or suggestions and uh, and then we will see you next week and we're possibly going to talk about open research. Okay, sounds exciting. Yep, it is. Great. Nice to talk to both of you. Okay. Nice to talk to you again. And uh, Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Bye-bye. If you have feedback concerning this episode or want your own questions to be featured in upcoming podcasts, please send us an email at mindwise.org.nl. This podcast was a production of Mindwise for the Department of Psychology at the University of Groningen. Let's talk science! I did a little, little bit more lavender.